Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Hey everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Wealth Standard Podcast. We have another interview about investing. I hope you guys have enjoyed this season so far. If you're just tuning in, make sure you head over to thewellstandard.com. There we have show notes, which have all the links and the resources, downloads, and so forth. So uh, make sure you head over there, bookmark the page. Also, subscribe to our email list. This is something we are way more active in now. I know we haven't been in the past, and I apologize. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, we have kind of revamped some of our social media. So uh, make sure you head over to thewellstandard.com, get all of those links. Uh, and one one other thing. So we are super close to having 100 five-star reviews on iTunes, and that's a big milestone, apparently, from what I've been told. So if you guys have not given us a, a rating, that would be huge. If you enjoy what you're learning this season or in previous seasons, please let the podcast world know uh, on iTunes, and there'll be a link on the wellstandard.com to access that page where you can put in a rating as well as a, a testimonial. So you guys are awesome if you can do that for me. That'd be huge. All right. So we're going to dive deeper into residential investing, but uh, residential real estate investing. But my guest today, he, he, he's he been in the industry for quite a, a long time and has a different uh, angle. And we took the conversation in a direction that I think you guys will be uh, definitely inspired by. So my, my guest is Aaron Chapman, and it was actually an in-person interview. Last, actually, the last couple have been in-person video type of interviews. So make sure you head over to our YouTube channel because those those interviews and the video are are housed there. Okay. So Aaron Chapman, he is a veteran in the, the finance industry and he uh, started in 1997. Since entering the finance industry, his clientele has ranged from purchasing their first home, building their dream home, or investing in multiple properties for long-term cash flow. He considers his expertise in complicated. So he's presently ranked in the top ten of three, top ten percent of uh, the three hundred licensed loan originators in the United States, which is a huge feat. And Aaron and his wife also take huge pride in a kind of a family business structure that they have developed. And they openly discuss their assets, their reason for being, their mission, and they have created a system of accountability with their kids, which is unprecedented. You guys will hear about that in the interview. And the, the kids are very much engaged and also are able to participate. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty awesome. Aaron and his wife also recently retired from 
nine years of service with the, the Pino County Sheriff's Office Volunteer Rescue Unit. They both retired as team leaders during that stint. They experienced an excess of 50 rescues per year. And in many cases, the missions, they received international media and you know, local attention, of course, because they were able to preserve lives in extreme circumstances. This guy's amazing. You guys are going to be inspired by uh, how he thinks, what he is motivated by. So I can't wait. You uh, can't wait for you guys to meet him. So without further delay, uh, please welcome my guest and my friend, Aaron Chapman. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Thank you for tuning into this episode. It's going to be a, it's going to be an awesome interview. You don't know it yet, but you, uh, you will soon know. But we're envisioning this can be awesome. Oh yeah. We, we know. It's thought. It is. It is. We, we're, we're certain about our, uh, the end result, right? Aaron, yeah. what's up, man? It is awesome to have you Thanks for letting me in. live and in person. It was good to, I was really, really impressed. One with what I saw, cause you walk up to this place. I'm like, wow, is, are we going to that building? They get in, it's like, oh, this place is awesome. And then one, you guys let me in, which is a good thing that, that people let me to come in, hang out, and then to meet your staff and see everybody here. Do you got a really, really cool operation? I appreciate that. Really, really cool looking place. So my, I'll have to tell you about my first impression of this building when we first moved in. So we moved in over the holidays mm-hmm. and there used to be this, like it was a Mexican restaurant and a nightclub. And I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> and we came in on like a Saturday night over the holidays and they had this like runway out on the patio and there were just girls in like Santa Claus Why did attire. Why that rough welcome? I, I have, yeah. So that, that was my first impression of the building where the whole building was shaking and that was going on downstairs. So my, and my wife was with me too. So she was like, that was, that, a, great, that was a good experience. So was I'll let you know, next time I'm coming, I would love to see that. <laughs> they've long gone. They're, they've long no, gone. But I'm saying dude, paradigm uh, needs to get. You want a, a runway out there? We got to get All the right. runway. We okay. got to get the girls. Kind of welcome, get the right welcome. Going. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's, it's awesome to have you in here. And it's, it's really uh, serendipity because this, this season of the, of the podcast, we're focusing on uh, investment. But a lot of the interviews have gravitated toward legacy and meaning and, and purpose. Because in the end, a lot of people are, are in this kind of rat race in a sense of what they're doing financially and don't necessarily know what the end result is. They think it's retirement. But other than that, most people don't dig deep. And you were going to be in town because the main company that you do business with is, is located in Salt Lake. And it just worked out that you were going to be here. You're going to be able to, to meet the entire team, come to the office, but then also do this, this podcast interview. And you've been writing a, a book that is a, a kind of a mini book that is very inspiring. It hasn't come out yet, but it revolves around legacy and purpose and meaning. And so I'm really excited to just to, to interview uh, you because all this, all these events had to happen in order for you to be here right now. So I think there's definitely a design behind it. But thank you for, you know, you, you supported our business as, as an advocate working with Gary Pinkerton. And, you know, and I've learned a lot about you. You've spoken on the, the Cashflow Wealth Summit a couple, couple of times. Uh, but you're a stand up, a stand up guy. You're a man of principle and purpose. And it's just awesome to know you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I can say that the reasons that I can do those things is because. The stand-up people here at Paradigm, the stand-up person that Gary is, that you are, the principles, the purpose that you guys operate your business with and your lives, I can I can walk beside those kind of folks. It's very, very difficult to live a life where you're seeking purpose, you're seeking significance, and the people around you are not. Or that what they're seeking is the wrong things. Yeah. If you can't you can't couple those things together, you can't walk together. So the reason it's easy to be able to do what I do as far as supporting this organization, be able to 
point people to the knowledge that you guys exist is because of who you are. Well, that means a lot. That means a lot, man. Thank you. Let's dive into something I've done with all the guests this season, which is be able to gain very quickly their perspective of of life, of business, of of investment. And it's just with a couple of rapid fire questions. So are you good to go? Yeah, far away. Okay, so pre-work, who was a a role model to you? Someone that you looked up to or or inspired you? It might seem sound cliche, but it's my parents. You know, I, I always sought their acceptance of what it is that I did. I mean, they were very, very hardworking people. I mean, they would be all night long going. I, I say about my mom, if she sleeps, it's hanging upside down. That woman goes and goes and goes. Even now, 67 years old. She doesn't Still stop, going. <laughs> right? And we, you know, I grew up uh, watching them just work their guts out. You know, and then we did some time in my high school years on a cattle ranch. We had a partnership in a cattle ranch. And my dad and I out there together a lot. And we worked together in the mines in New Mexico before I came into this. And one of the big things for me when I was working with him in the mines was to be able to, one, experience that. And then for him to call me his partner underground to the general manager, I knew I'd made it to the goal where wow. I wanted to be. Because hmm. he all my uh, through my childhood, when he was mining, not when we were cattle ranching, but he was mining a lot of other time, he would refer to his partner. And that was a big deal to me, that, that individual, who that person was. Mm-hmm. And for me to be claimed, that was a big thing for me. And then, of course, working with my mother, her, she was in real estate. I was doing regular type of lending for home buyers. We worked together a lot. And having her willing to continue to offer my name to her clients because she doesn't, she won't do that if you suck. If you don't do, do your job, she has zero patience for you. And then you later in the nepotism idea, it's like even more so. so exactly. That's definitely so, a big and, and it's a reverse nepotism. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, kid yeah, better yeah. step up because uh-huh. she works her guts out. Yeah, I didn't. So I had to continue to earn that position. Yeah. So that would be the people then that I needed to to really work to continue to get that type of acknowledgement from. All right. Second question. I, and I want to come back to that. I think we will as I have position some of these other questions. Uh, superhero. What superhero or icon in history do you most resonate with? I've got to say the Hulk in, in a way, because you could be a very calculated, thoughtful individual and use a scientist, yeah. right? Yeah. And a very, uh, very brilliant mind in there, but then life happens. And when it does, and that's kind of like with my business, you know, my business has been one of those situations, no matter how hard I tried, no how much I did to calcu- go about a calculated process. Mm-hmm. There's always somebody there to block you, always something to, to hit you, always something to try and knock you down. Yeah. When I found that I had this power, internal power, just go back at it like a crit, like a silverback on Coke and yeah. just go after what I wanted because I knew it was right, but I knew it was necessary. And to overcome those obstacles and be able to see what was on the other side. It wasn't where I went at it in a crazed way, kind of like the whole, <laughs> the whole control, <laughs> no right? control, yeah. But I can see how you finally have that internal fire that comes out and then you, you are able to push through that obstacle. Yeah. So now they're not even obstacles anymore. What used to be like a huge difficulty, now I just overcome because we have such momentum with me and my team that we don't even feel those things. It feels like a little bump, yeah. like a train at full bore. But when the warriors needed... Precisely. When you when you need to go out there, it's readily available to me, right? And so yeah. when you look at an actual historical icon, you know, we're sitting in we're sitting in Utah, you know, you've got Porter Rockwell, and I've, I remember following, reading books and books and books about him, you know, and it's an individual who was a very kind man. Mm-hmm. When the time came, when he needed to, it was, there was, there was no line even for a person to cross. He mm-hmm. took care of business in a big way. And I really identified with the way he, he went about life. He went about, he did the right things. Made things kind of off a little bit, but he went it his way, right? And so, you know, I guess that might even be a reason why I look the way that I do. I'm going about things my way. Yeah. Even though I'm amongst groups when it comes to either whether it be religious or business, yeah. this is the individual you're dealing with. I don't give a crap what room I'm walking. Well, it's, the, you know, Carl Jung, of the difference he's made in psychology is identifying those 
those four dominant archetypes, you know, the the warrior, the magician, the lover, and the sovereign or the king, king, queen. And, you know, from what I've studied, the ability to associate those archetypes of your personality at the right time equals an incredibly meaningful, meaningful life because you're not showing up as one all the time. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you identify who those you know, archetypes and sides of your personality so that when you do show up, you make the biggest difference. Because imagine showing up to a hard situation that requires warrior, but you're the lover. Yeah, it does. <laughs> doesn't work so well. It doesn't work yeah. so well. You, but, you may dent a few legs, but you're not going to get anywhere. But vice versa, right? Yeah. It's like there's, uh, yeah, anyway, we don't we need to go off on that. <laughs> All right, let's, let's keep going. Charitable causes. So what, what charitable causes do you support? So you mentioned the book earlier, and I did, I have released four. We may even talk about those, but those four are out. We have yet to really get the marketing behind them. Every single one of those that every penny that comes in through those books is going to go towards some charities here. So I'm, I'm working on some uh, supporting veterans housing, the Len Foundation who handles um, you know, cerebral palsy, trying to get new research done for, for, for children. And then there's Operation Underground Railroad. And we know what they do, you know, and, and what, what is necessary. That particular, that whole subject to me is something that turns my gut, but inspires me to think on ways to try and help. And uh, every cent is going to go to help those, those causes. Because every single one of those people, that's why we even have some of the systems we have built in place to help those who really can't help themselves, Mm -hmm. but we've really screwed it up. This is the one thing that I get to control. So I'm going to control the sales of those four books to go to those, those causes and hoping that those who buy them, who spend, who spend that money. And I'm just telling everybody who's listening, I spent in excess of $20,000 to get those out. I'm asking you to spend 30 to 35 to support thirty to thirty-five dollars to support Total, those yeah. uh, those uh, those those foundations. Yep. I'll support them with twenty plus. Please support it with your thirty-five to forty dollars to pick those up and work with me to get some to get get some resources into the right hands. And we'll make sure that those yeah those links are available on the on the show notes so you guys can can uh, can link to those and purchase those. Okay, finally, legacy. If there was one attribute that you could impress upon your kids, grandkids, the world, this audience, what would it be? It would be to be able to direct your mind. And that's the one thing that I want everybody to be able to gather control over. You know, you're, you're probably just like me, a big fan of Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And his book that was released in 2011, Outwitting the Devil, talks about a person's ability to control their thoughts and focus them is where you have the most success. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, 99% of the people or 98% of the people drift, focus on nothing and accomplish nothing. You know, if people ask me about my business and why I focus almost solely on real estate investors, doing financing for real estate investors, buying those uh, single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex homes. Why don't I target realtors? Why don't I go after first time home buyers? Because I found when you try to be everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. I focused, went after one specific type of client. I went from doing 100 transactions a year to 723. And I've been you know, consistently 700 for three years. So my one thing I will preach to everyone, if you can control your mind, control where you're focusing your energy and not get yanked 100 different directions, you will be able to find the success you're looking for. Okay, let's get into the interview. I'm, I'm curious about uh, what's, what's, driving, what's driving you because you're an incredibly driven individual. So the first question I had is, how do you characterize legacy. You gave me kind of a preview of what your your next book is going to look like when it comes to the legacy you want to leave for for the world, for your family specifically. Uh, but how do you characterize what legacy is? I think people will be able to take up, pick up the pieces that are left when you exit 
and be able to continue on the exact same path. Not necessarily does it have to be 100% at the, the end result that you plan for, but a result that they plan for. So for me is to educate my children enough about what I have done, what I'm intending to do, and to understand and find, figure out what their intentions are. And when I do leave this sphere and they have to pick up the ball from there, from what I leave, that they can use that to continue to to grow towards their their end goal. So I guess a legacy is in reality, educating people enough to know where their end is and knowing the tools that they're left and how to use them to get to that end. Well, you alluded to something in, in the beginning, which is what I found with most of the guests were their biggest influence was their parents. And a lot of, you know, that development happens within the first, you know, 10, 10 years of, of life. But if you look past uh, to their parents and their parents going back generations, it's amazing to see how one little thing can make a difference for future generations, mm-hmm. right? And I, I look at something that I've questioned in myself and often thought about, which is, you know, what, what am I, what am I after? What am I trying to to achieve? And ultimately, I, I believe that the meaning that we get comes from us being able to to make a difference. And it starts kind of like in those inner circles, and then works its way out, right? The inner the inner circles are your your kids, right? Your your spouse. Then you know, you go to your extended family, then your community. But I, I believe that, you know, when, when you grab hold of what creates meaning for you, like life starts to, to take off. And it sounds like that's been the case for you. Oh, in a big way. And, you know, you talk about inner circles. Your, your inner circle evolves to an outer circle, which becomes your inner circle again. So, yeah. you, know, you have your, your parents and your siblings, right? Yeah. And eventually you're looking to expand that inner circle to an outer circle, which is a spouse, right? And, then I, and of course, then I met my Rizzo and then brought her now into an inner circle. And then mm-hmm. we have kids and that create that inner circle. And then we have friends and business associates. And we, you and I may live uh, stayed away, but the, there's an inner circle forming there, you know? And I, I think part of it, you know, I was looking for the acceptance of my family and then continued acceptance of my spouse and acceptance of my kids. And I want to be able to lay my head on the pillow at night and know that those people that are in that circle, that's ever expanding, have the best thoughts possible of me because what my intentions are, my intentions, not just for me, my intentions for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we continue on that path, I think that everything we're talking about achieving on the legacy yeah, yeah. side is easily achieved. Yeah. Love it. That's amazing. All right. So we may have already addressed this, but maybe talk more about what drove you to write the book that you're, that you're writing around legacy and a system for, for family. Where did that, you know, idea spark? Like where, where, where did, or, and maybe it had to germinate along the way, but like where did well, that come from? it kind of did germinate along the way. I remember back in 2012 when I started typing. So I wanted to give something to my kids. I wanted to leave something. They were all very young. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what has happened in this window of time. You know, it's eight years. And I just started hammering away on a, on a uh, tablet I had. I had a, one of those Samsung Galaxy 10.1s or whatever they were. Yeah, yeah. I was just hammering away on that. And I found myself there all the time, starting from childhood. Was, and what it boiled down to is I was trying to understand my kids. I understand what, and I don't remember the circumstances. Something was going on there. I couldn't get what was going on with them. Why are they not getting it? So I had to take myself backwards to that age. I set myself back at those early ages to try and put myself in a, in a position to understand what were they thinking? Why were they thinking it? And how can I identify with them? And how can I communicate in a way that they would understand? So from that initial thought of putting myself in a dormant state to think through that, I started writing. I started creating my entire life story up until 2015. And I and it's amazing. It got to, you know, I think it was nearly 400, eight and a half by 11 pages. We're talking about, I was like, I can't remember what the thing is, like a nine or 10 is what what, what the size of the the, um, the script was. So it was amazing 
how much data was there. Well, then I'm like, well, I've written all this. I need to just put this in, in book form. So then somebody introduced me to a, to a uh, editor who used to, from what I understand, she was working for Tony Robbins for a number of years as his personal assistant. So I put this in her hands and she read it and she goes, this is all great, but nobody gives a crap. <laughs> she goes, give them something that, the, that they care about yeah, first yeah, yeah. and then they'll care about this. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? Well, then I paid to have this ghostwriter package done, right? So then I flew out to her location in Olympia, Washington. We sat at the lake house for two days and it started out for the first six hours and it just wasn't working. The information wasn't flying. Nothing was flying. I was telling them there was something happening here and we had to get into a deep conversation and really start uncovering some things. And then it started to flow. And we spent the next, you know, the next, uh, two, basically the rest of that day and into the next day, just recording conversation after conversation after conversation. Well, after a few months, they gave me the finished product and I read it. I'm like, I can't publish that. That's not me. It's like, well, what do you mean? It's not you. This is all your words. Like, no, that's my words, but it's all edited. And it's not my words. You took the stories and some of the meanings even changed the way that you typed it up. It's mm-hmm. not the same meaning. So I went back, I toured, and I, and, and what they did was awesome. You know, one, it got me started. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then I just started all over again. And, but now I had processes that I've gone through. I just started typing and it hit me one day. I was talking to my brother-in-law. I was in the Admiral's club in Dallas as where I got off the plane. He's calling me and we're talking. He goes, I was thinking, so you need to, you need to hit on a lot of topics. I hear you talking to different people and doing these podcasts and you need to start touching on specific topics and write on that. I'm like, dude, you can't do that. How am I going to do that? I can't do a full book on that. I have to think it's like, I don't have to do a full book. And it just kind of started occurring to me. I can take all the content of a full book and break it into releasing chapter by chapter as a small book, kind of like the dime novels of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So I started off with a book called Point Your Head and Heart, Your Ass Will Follow. It's all about if you think it and you believe it and you write it down, you will show up there. And it's happened repetitively in my life. The second is a book called uh, Gratitude, A Practical Application. And it illustrates two separate contrasting events that created my understanding of gratitude as an actual economy. This is not some agreement between me and God. Mm-hmm. There's no mystical pinata floating around. They're going to drop gratitude blessings on you because you walk around with gratitude. It literally is an economy between me and you. Mm-hmm. And, it's a, and it's very, very well illustrated between two different people I met in the same week. And then the second one is called quit jerking off. And what it really boils down to is, you know, take that phrase however you want to yeah. and figure out your topic there. But what it boils down to is habit that people are losing so much productivity to have. And it gets back down to thought, controlling your thoughts. The final of those four is called steel running, as in steel, as in steel chainsaws. And it's about, again, one of the icons of my life, my dad, watching him with that steel chainsaw he had in 041, made in the early 1960s in West Germany, and how everybody else on the mountain would have problems with their chainsaw, but that kept running. It still does. It's in my personal collection, explains where I wear the hat, all these things about why the... Basically, it's a lot about controlling your mind. Again, back to that mental mental uh, focus situation. And then we're going to go into book five, which is what we're talking about now. That book five, I'm titling it The Business of Family. And it boils down to is I have been able to create a system within my family of having my kids being held accountable to what they're putting aside for their future, even at a very young age. Nobody ever held me accountable. They just said save, right? That's all they did. Nobody showed you how. Nobody taught you how. Nobody even... They told you go invest into a mutual fund or something. So my children and I now, on a fairly regular basis, we sit down, we go over the investments we're going to do, we go over the family holdings. We also go over a, a log that they are putting aside 10% of their income for their future. And then they're, go, they're getting their own life insurance policy and then we're training them how to use it. 
We've created an engine of being able to use our income with our life insurance policy to buy real estate investments and rotate it back through this engine of growth. And I can illustrate to people how to do that within the book and also with other materials. But it's a matter of seeing the change that happened in my kid's life. And then I got to think, it's like, you know, there's a lot of people frustrated with the next generation and today's generation, but they're not doing anything about it. So I can't bitch about what's going on with the current generation and the following if I'm not, if you're not doing do anything. Exactly. I need to participate in doing it. So the easiest way for me to start is with my own kids. Mm-hmm. Get them on a track and then offer that to everybody else. Now, I can't go walk into people's houses to get your kids over here, or I can create some sort of document that they can use as a, as a framework. And I can partner with somebody like Paradigm Life to get that framework out. Then we can work together on technologies to continue to make it easier and easier to educate the next generation. Well, if you think about it, if you go to the, the generation, like our generation, the generation before us and, and all the way back, the necessities and kind of the physiological needs of life continue to get easier and cheaper and almost built in. But if you go to a lot of the generations in the past, the accountability of life was built in. If they didn't prepare or organize, they, they died, right? Now, you don't have to hunt. You don't have to store food for the winter and ration during the winter. There are so many conveniences now that the environment of accountability continues to decline. And I look at, you know, I look at my kids and even though their life seems easier from that physiological standpoint, it's much harder because the previous generations had had it easy. They had accountability built in. Today, accountability is not built in. And if you look at really where kids are influenced, it's they're influenced by their environment. It's a very mm-hmm. laxed environment. Okay, they think things happen certain ways because they have they haven't been taught, and the older generations just assume that they know. They don't know. Yeah, and that's a good point. I never really even thought about that. That's that's a very good point. If you did not do certain things, the outcome didn't happen. Actually, it, it was and the outcome was swift and it was certain. Yeah, oh yeah, it was right there in front of your face. Now yeah. it's everything is softened, just like you said. And there, uh, it's very very interesting to think that our children are there. They don't have to. They can just survive very easily, you know, and one of the things I've noticed people, people are very interesting creatures, you know, they don't realize that being able to survive is a skill that can easily translate to thrive. You know, you see a guy who's trying to dodge the tow truck that's coming to get their car because they're not making the payments. It's amazing how quickly they can come up with the money to make those payments when they're losing their transportation. Right at the end. Why is it if they have that type of energy to put that kind of fuel into it to get to that point just to pay all that stuff? Why do they take the foot off the gas? You know, the momentum it took to get there is can stay right there behind. If you just keep the foot, the throttle down just a little, you can take your foot off the gas, but keep the foot on the mm-hmm. throttle just a little bit and you can stay at a cruising altitude. No, they want to take their foot off the gas. Like, cool. I got like three more months before that guy shows up yep. again. And it happens all the time. I've seen it. So many people in my, in, in my immediate sphere, I've seen that happen to over and over and over again. It's like, why don't you just keep going? What is the allure of your couch? of your video games or whatever that is that stops you from having a, a much more comfortable existence. And, that, and, and nobody says you have to become a millionaire no. or a billionaire or whatever. How about just pay your damn bills? And have a nice, have a, so a predictable this, life. It, it, for sure. And, and, and that's where I look at the habits that that guy had were built in a long time ago, mm-hmm. right? The influence that he had when it came to money, whether it was his parents or his environment, his social circle, his work circle, who, who knows? But right now, it's like everybody has those habitual behaviors, right? That they operate by, and very seldom is it consciously controlled. Okay, it's all sub, it's all you know unconsciously happening. Yeah. And you look at again the, where the most influence happens, especially with kids. It's in those early years. It's the first ten to, to fifteen years of life 
right? Where they are impressed based on their environment and their environment is controlled by usually the parents. And if, and that's where I look at, you know, the, the influence that I've had from my parents and my grandparents to, to my parents and then my great grandparents to my grandparents. And I mean, all, all of that has influenced how I show up for my kids. And if I want things to, to change, I wasn't necessarily happy with certain elements of how I grew up. I believe my parents did an amazing, amazing job. But if I wanted things different, if I wanted things even better, that was, that was on me to create the environment in which that was going to happen. And the environment is interesting. If it's not done dynamically, then it could have unintended consequences. Because my wife, you know, she grew up in a really, really like slums of Mexico and, you know, cinder, you know, cinder block home, concrete floors, like very, very humbling circumstances, mm -hmm. very humble circumstances. And her dream was to give her kids what she never had. And I, I understand that motivation. At the same time, there are huge unintended consequences from that, yeah. right? Because it provides this, you know, environment where kids aren't necessarily accountable or learn the, you know, the, the principle of self-reliance, right? But that's where if we recognize the elements, right, of what influences people, okay, then we can customize it to what values we want to layer onto them so that they have those unconscious behaviors going forward, not the ones where they're fending for their life when the tow truck comes to, to take their car. Yeah. And the tough part is, is giving all that information Boxing it all up for him and teaching him the best you can, but then you have to walk away and let them do it. Yes. So, yes. so I've also noticed in many families, you've got, you could have, you know, five, four or five, six kids in the family and one or two of them really do some amazing things. The other ones are completely different and they all grew up in the exact same environment because yeah. they accepted things differently uh -huh. and they could, and it's so easy to see the negative. Well, mom and dad did this stuff to us, but yeah, but what about this over here? I never saw that. Like, mm -hmm. And how is it? I saw it. We were in the same room mm -hmm. together. We were there the whole time together. We, we, we weren't even separable, but yet somehow you saw only the negative. That's a difficult thing for us to have to one wrap our head around as parents and then also educators and business mentors and business people whatsoever. And we're leading our clients to, a, to an end goal to give them all the day they need and then do nothing with it and, and be able to accept that and not get frustrated. With yep. it. That's tough. Because information and resources are more abundant today than in any point in time in history. At the same time, the use of that information, the understanding of how to be resourceful and use that for a certain achievable end, that's what's, you know, that, that's, that's, that's definitely rarity. lacking. That's the rarity. In fact, it's made, made great data cheap because it is. Great data is very cheap. I right? get mm -hmm. amazing stuff mm -hmm. and it doesn't become valuable until I use it. The second I put it to use, the second I put Napoleon Hill's works to use, it became extremely valuable. I heard about his stuff. So I had a seventh grade English teacher write his quote, you know, what the mind of man can achieve, conceive and believe it can achieve in my yearbook in seventh grade. That wow. still stands out. Now, I don't, that yearbook's long gone, but Mrs. Shumway but, writing yeah. that stood out. Now, I'd never, ever seen that phrase again till I read Napoleon Hill's works in 2016. That's when I first picked up his books, it's 2016. And I started reading that stuff. I think it was 15 or 16. I started picking up the books. I think it was 15, actually. And the change that had happened to me from 2015 to today completely we're, we're look at how many years that's four years compared to the the previous 20 well i guess it was nearly 40 years it was it's 41 years 41 years before that i had, had more impact than that little time of getting that education and put it to work far greater than that time before as far as my business impact and you look at my last four years i'm ranking the top 20 people in the united states in my business there's 300,000 people in my industry and i'm in the top 20 for that's transactions amazing. close it all started in 2015. And it all starts from educating yourself with the data that's out there. So my job is now to take the data I already know 
and refine it down into a way that people will hopefully listen. So I'm trying to dumb it down a ton. Mm -hmm. There's some really high level stuff out there. There's nothing new. I'm just giving it from my perspective. I practiced it. I used it. I saw the success of it in a very, very, very short window. So now I'm handing it off in little bite-sized chunks. So what else besides, because the information existed, you have all, you had all these different experiences of time, as well as that, that quote in the, in the yearbook, like what brought it together? So you read, you know, Think and Grow Rich and, or the, what's the other one? How the law of success, the law of success in 16 lessons, outwitting the devil. Yep. Yep. The wisdom of success. They yeah. did with uh, the, the, the transcription of his interview with Andrew Carnegie. So what that catalyst what can, was? What was the connection? Like what? So you're reading it and when did that like, oh, okay. Like what, like what was that? Like what, what became, what did you become aware of that you weren't aware of previously? You were in control well, of your destiny. I was or? sitting down. I just started a partnership in 2015. Okay. You know, I had a, my, my greatest, I guess you'd call him my competitor. He, he and I were at an event and he, he started pushing me to come and merge our businesses. We huh. did 2015. And in in a need to contribute to the growth, because we had, we were on a trajectory, right? We we're going to accomplish some really major things. Because yeah. when I made that happen, I was like, wow, there's some potential here. Yeah. Because now, now it wasn't just me. This is somebody over here who I've, I've kind of held in pretty high regard. Yeah. Guy was, he was, he was getting it done. Huh. So now he saw enough in me to bring him board with his team. Holy crap. Now I have to bring, I have to step my game up. So I was having some chicken wings with a buddy of mine at a local, uh, uh, one of those little Irish pubs. And he told me about the book, The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Have you ever read that book? Mm, Absolutely amazing book about huh. processes and systems. Yeah. So I took that book and I started figuring between that and a system that I was already creating in my head, I call my Chipotle system, which is how we get loans done. Yeah. It's just like going to Chipotle to get a yeah. burrito built, right? Different people One doing stage different at a things. Time, yep. I started taking from the goal, things to be able to input, implement those manufacturing systems to finance, to building this intricate financial instrument for real estate investment. And that's where it started. It was trying to contribute more to the whole. Well, that partnership uh, actually severed. He had decided that he didn't want to continue and he just walked and left me my blank, blank slate. I had to start over November 1st, 2015, start over at nothing. But starting over at nothing, I had greater knowledge. The knowledge of, wait a minute, this is possible. Yeah. We could do this because we were doing it. I saw that it was working. For some reason, he didn't. What he wasn't seeing, I can't speak to. But what I saw was huge growth in a short window of time. So I meant implemented those things. And I got to thinking at that point, I was like, well, if I got all that out of one book and all these people kept talking about this Napoleon Hill guy, maybe I should listen. So I cracked open one of his books and it just started. Cracked open Think and Grow Rich because that's where you start, right? Mm -hmm. And then a buddy of mine told me about uh, Joe Dispenza's book, which is Breaking the Habit yeah, of Being, being Yourself. yourself. Yeah, yeah. I cracked that open. I'm like, yeah. wow. You know, I tell yeah, everybody about deep. Joe Dispenza's that one's deep. <laughs> Tacoma TEDx. You got to watch, watch that Tacoma TEDx yeah, yeah. talk about how that mind actually works and connects neurons. Yeah. So I saw those things. I'm like, okay, well, let me get into the next thing. I got into Outwitting the Devil. Somebody mm. told me about that because I was telling about some of the books I was reading. Mm. I shared with them Dispenza's book. He goes, you should check out this book. And he shared with me Outwitting the Devil. I'm like, I've never heard of that. And so I read that. I'm like, that was eye-opening. So I read it once and listened to it three times on Audible. Mm. And the Audible version with the different voices, the contracting voices is amazing. And then I went from there to Wisdom of Success. And then it just continued to domino. Then I start, discovered the most influential book on me is Charles Hamill's book. Oh, Master Key. Uh, yeah. Master Key Master System. Key, yeah. And in fact, I shared that with Gary. He's like, you're going to do this damn thing, right? And that helped <sighs> me train my mind properly. And then, of course, I get into scripture. So every morning I started getting up. 4.30, I read into, start, I'm like right now, I'm still deep into the Old Testament. I'm reading along with Skousen's work of the 
I'm in the, the third thousand years right now. Oh, the 6,000 year leap. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I started off with the first 2,000 years and I'm in halfway through. Actually, I'm almost done with the, I'm about 20 pages left of the third thousand years and yeah. I'm going to the next one. So yeah. I'm now through the Exodus and all that, which is amazingly deep stuff. Yeah. When you couple that with Skousen's work, you can see just how to handle people, mm. right? There's a lot in there. And I, I got to, not to take this down a religious path, but when you start looking at the works that we've all talked about, and then you work, look at the work of the Bible and the Book of Mormon and other scripture and all these things together, you start finding that there's no, there's no religion. This is, this is our, this is our history of us. This is kind of like my dad telling me what I need to do to be successful. This is creator of all things saying, this is the stuff you got to do to be successful here and just follow it. And when you get it from people's perspective, like, like Hill and like Dispenza and Hanel, and then you couple with works that have been in existence forever. Like, wow, it's all been there. Every single thing has been there. The value, the values associated with, a meaningful life have been there for a really long time. And then the principles that govern behavior have also been there for a really long time. Now you have stories on how to practically apply it. That's the difference. We didn't have practical application. Exactly. And that's where, as we were talking about, you know, kids, practical application for, for you required signing a partnership. It put you in this position where I have to do this. It's no longer a choice. It's I must do this. And then when your partner left, it created an even more refined environment where it's like, okay, I really have to do this. And that environment, I believe, can be controlled and designed intentionally. However, for most people that you know have these epiphanies of life, it's been done, you know, because of a a car accident or a loved one passing away, or you know, almost a plane having a near-death experience, something like that. I've had they, all those, but yeah. for some reason, these, this one's the most poignant. And, and it's different for everybody, right? Where they come to this realization of, if I don't do this, then the consequences are, are severe. The consequences are way more painful than the actual pain of changing. And that environment, again, going back to, to legacy, uh, I believe that's where you know I've shifted how I uh, influence my kids. Where I'm very intentional about the environment and intentional about what my motivations are, what my values are. And the reason behind sometimes things being difficult, because in that difficulty is where your mind like engages all the different resources of of your life that you've learned, that you've read about, right? And then it gives you guidance on what action to take, which then, you know, refines your habits. I couldn't have said any better. And that's, and I think that's what it's about. So if you you remember Ogmandino wrote, you know, I think he's the greatest salesman in the world. He put, you know, humans are creatures of habit. Yeah. We all need to understand it. Uh-huh. You're going to be you know, covered. You're going to be uh, guided by some form of habit. So form good habits and become their slave. You know, mm-hmm. the, the tactics and strategies will continue to evolve with your yep. environment. But it's the principles that remain the same. Yep. If you form your ha- around the habits around principle and you have the right principle, then everything just starts to work for itself. So people ask me, how do you have the energy to get all these things done? It's because it all goes back to my basic principles. Yeah. If it fits within that, I move forward. If it does not, then I just ignore it and move, move on to what does. This has been awesome. Thank you. What does this have to do with investment? <laughs> that's, our uh, the- well, that's our theme for this. And I think it has a lot to do with it, right? But most people may think, okay, here you're talking about all this stuff, but what does that have to do with like investing? Well, the bottom line is a person, one, they have to decide they want to invest, but then they have to start building the principles around the investment vehicle that they're, they're choosing to do. Yeah. And they have to get the principles around what is the bottom line that I'm going to invest into. Too often people are like, well, I'm going to run the numbers. Well, what, what, what result do you want on the numbers? Run them all you want, but you can get different results depending upon what numbers. There's a lot of people out there that love to throw out the pro forma. You're familiar with the pro oh, forma. Yeah, yeah. And people are like, well, the pro forma has to come up with this. Well, when you look at all the numbers, 
most of us made up anyway. <laughs> In fact, Professor John Abernathy over there at uh, Kennesaw State University says it, tells to his students that performers Greek for made up. None of it's real. Uh. It's hopeful. So let's look at real numbers. So I take these investors back to the principles of where, what, what is it they, as far as the, the real end result you're trying to get, and then I can show them how the real estate gets there. So it's not all about the loan. The loan, in my opinion, that 30-year fixed mortgage that we can get is the, the greatest asset associated with the transaction. It's not debt. This is a great asset. Yeah. Then when I back them into how to find that as the asset, because the inflationary environment we live in, the tax environment we mm-hmm. live in, the appreciation environment, that's even the appreciation isn't even on the radar, really. The amortization of the loan by your tenant and that cash flow. Even if the cash flow is 150 to 200 bucks, if you're buying in a place that will stay reasonably rented, that has the ability to raise rents because of inflation, I can show you how it's hundreds of percent return, not some 9% or 10% or 12% cash on cash return model. If people are preaching that and that's all they preach, they're saying, hey, look at this spreadsheet. And if it does this at the bottom, then you should buy it. You need to walk away from those freaking people because they don't know what they're talking about. They're trying to sell you something. That's it. You need to look at the entire thing as a whole. Uh, my goal is to take everybody I work with and convert their mindset to the proper mindset, like we've talked about, to become the CEO of their real estate investment business. Run it like a business, business. right? You got to get the right people on board to know the right things. You know, there's been successful CEOs that say the reason they're successful is because they find themselves and embrace the, the fact that they are the dumbest in the boardroom. If you know more than everybody about their job, then you hired the wrong people. So I tell my clients, I said, welcome to being the dumbest person in the boardroom. I'm applying for a seat at your board table. And if I have better information to offer than somebody else, then hopefully I have a shot at being at that table. Mm -hmm. And if I do, and when you come to me with the questions you have to consider and the decisions you have to make, I can help you make those in a way with practical information that somebody else chose to do. I can show you where they failed and where they have succeeded, because I do 700 transactions a year for investors, hopefully you'll make the decision that'll make you successful. So I preach to all of them that, you know, I even ask the question, I'll ask you, you probably know it, who made the most revenue during the gold rush? The, mine, the mining people? The, mining the people, people that, owns, that own the mine? It's the guys who sold the picks and shovels. Uh, okay, yeah. The outfitters, right? Yeah. So I explained to everybody, that's me. That's Paradigm. Yeah. We're outfitters. We're selling picks and shovels. That's how we're going to bread our table. The mm. difference is we know where the gold's at. The real estate investment gold, the long-term legacy gold within these life insurance policies, being able to couple them with real estate. That's how you f- extract the gold. That's where you find it. Now, if you're successful in extracting it, what are you going to need? You're going to need trucks. You're going to need mining equipment. Mm-hmm. You're going to need a smelter. You're going to need a mill. You're going to need a train to haul that. And if I've done my job, who are you going to come to to get it? Us. Your success breeds my success. If you fail, I fail. I don't want to sell one pick, one shovel. I want to make you so damn wealthy, but you got to come back to me for all the other things. So our success breeds further success for other people. And then, you know, it's, it's basically a big wheel. The client is the hub. We're all the spokes. If one of us breaks another scope, spoke in the process, the whole, the whole wheel's at risk. We can't have it. So how does this couple into, into investing? It really gets back to mindset. Getting the mindset right of the individual trying to start. Just the desire to start is, is where it all starts from. But then you got to take that first step. Now, Darren Hardy says the first 10, 20 seconds of a decision is where all the outcome comes from. You can decide to move forward or decide to be too afraid to step forward and you step back. That 20 seconds will actually create your outcome. So step forward and then we'll help you walk with you to get you where you need to go. You just need to get the right people on your train.
So I've been talking in the last couple of episodes about a docu-series on Bill Gates. Have you seen the, the Inside Bill's Brain? It's on I Netflix. I've heard about it and I should. I started watching a couple of them. I haven't seen all of them. Yeah. So I, as you've been talking, what's what I've been reflecting on is with the brain that he has and how he understands a lot of different things with what he's trying to achieve right now, which is, you know, a lot of, you know, humanitarian good as well as solving very significant problems. He operates the same way that you just described, right? He knows what the end result is. He knows what his motivation is, and he understands the basic question and principle around it. But then he has an entire network, those axes and picks and, and equipment, the people right that are able to go and implement and execute and it it was profound to watch that docu series with that perspective okay because he wasn't doing any of the the work he was basically the first domino mm-hmm. he was the first domino to say here's the problem right here's why we must solve it and then he enrolled other people right that had expertise in different levels and he knew how to put teams together and how to inspire people you know he sponsored some prizes and funded you know did micro funding of of different you know different businesses in order to achieve his his end right but he didn't do any of the kind of back end work he just you know came up with the idea established the results he had this motivation and then he knew how to put people in place in order to accomplish his end so, so you're saying the, he stacked the dominoes in design and knocked them up totally so the sim- similar principles i mean you can see these that's what's amazing is that you know at that scale which is like a massive, massive scale, making a difference for millions, tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of people, but also at the individual level, where you're just trying to make a difference right now for your family, for your well-being, for your future. And then there's obviously going to be things yeah, added to that staff, after. My clients, my this, it just that, that, like going said, out. that circle keeps going out. It keeps and, expanding. You know, it just really boils, boils, boils down to that we as individuals, you know, humans are the apex predator. I say this a lot. We don't fall prey to other species. We fall prey to other humans. And unfortunately, because of the marketing engines that are out there and the capability, people are figuring out a way, how do they prey upon somebody else's pocket? Yeah. And I am intent on making sure that the entire world knows that that's not my intention. In fact, the one thing that I love about my industry, it's full of predators. One of the things that I hate about my industry is full of predators. But all those predators out there are the people that I get to say, hey, you determine who they are, but just know who I am. Well, if you know who I am and what my team is about and what we're about and we're about you, then that just helps build our business even greater. As long as we're helping other people and they feel like they're actually getting them somewhere they're taking from them, mm-hmm. I win as a result. I don't need to concern myself with me. I'm not concerned myself with me. I haven't concerned myself with my income in so darn long that even now I'm surprised. Like, wow, it's there. I don't have to worry about it. It's not a stress of mine. I'm more stressed about somebody else's. Well, if you look at, maybe we can end, end with this because you have to get going. Uh, when it comes down to those that have made a big difference, okay, it's because of them putting others in front of them. But in the end, it's the best benefit for them. And I look at what you, I listen to what you're, what you're saying, and I come to this, I come to this conclusion that when you start to realize your uh, position in life and go from it being about you to being about others, you have the most fulfillment and the most meaning that comes from that. And that motivation can't, can't die. And it's every, and evidence of that is everywhere. Uh, John Huntsman, who's a, uh, he passed away a few years ago in, in Utah, but he was a you know, multi-multi-billionaire. That was his first principle. And Ray Dalio, I just read a lot of stuff from Ray Dalio. That was one of his primary principles, right? Is he connected who he was 
with making a difference in other people's lives. And everything came, you know, to him as far as, you know, his, his personal fulfillment and success because of that drive. Well, you look at, as we talked before, leading into the whole, alluded some of the religious aspect of things into the Christianity and the depth of scripture and stuff. It's all there. Yeah. The person who, who is more concerned of other people, you just, you get there yeah. as a result. It's yeah. an amazing yeah. thing that we have been taught all our lives to not be selfish. And unfortunately, people are afraid that, well, then nobody's going to, nobody's going to help me if I don't help myself. And you end up hurting yourself in the process. Yep. It's just an interesting that's how, dynamic. That's how strong that drive is. If you can somehow break that drive of being all about you, you become all about you without realizing it. Oh, no kidding. It's crazy. Well, how can listeners follow you, learn more about you? We'll put the links to the to the books in our in our show notes. But what's the what's the best way to connect with uh, with you, Aaron? Just go straight to the website, AaronBchapman.com. Okay. Okay. You know, if you're expecting to see a banker's website, you'll be at the wrong spot. Uh-huh. You see a redneck sitting on a porch, you're at the right spot. That porch <laughs> is my office in Missouri and buying that brick and mortar. The story is in the in book one. Oh, cool. But you know, that's the best way to get me. There, you know, I've got, you know, do the LinkedIn thing. I've got a lot of stuff we're posting up there. Um, my my wife and my assistant are working on Facebook and Twitter. So or I don't know if it's Twitter, I don't know what else. What is it? Instagram, I guess. Something. So they're working on all that. I'm not in there doing anything, but but those are the places you can find me. Cool. All right, Aaron. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it's been, it's been an awesome blessing to have you here. Thanks for taking and the time. And we'll definitely need to do a follow-up to this, especially when the, the next book comes out. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Go head over to thewellstandard.com where the, the links that we've mentioned are all there. And reach out to Aaron. Get connected with him, even if it's to, to be inspired and, and motivated by him through his social media presence. Okay, that's it. Have a great uh, rest of the week and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.